pray as we open up the word of God today and uh, continue, as, as Ken said, to worship through his word. Father, thank you for uh, setting the table for us today. Thank you so very much for the sensitivity of our church to be a church that responds to our community in so many powerful ways, uh, certainly financially and resources with uh, so many ministries we partner with, and certainly when we're hurting. God, we model that to, to weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who rejoice. Father, as we open up your word, may your spirit speak to us as individuals because we believe as we pray for revival that revival begins with us. And so, Lord, teach us this morning. Bless us and be with us, we pray in your son's name. Amen. You know, I have, I have the privilege of being uh, all over the world and now as I think about 30 years going on of being a pastor. I, raised, I, was, a, I was actually never officially a, a youth pastor. I was actually an associate for many years, which means you do everything the senior pastor doesn't want to do. And so I did the, the youth ministries and I have a love for young people. I was a senior pastor in Northern California before I, I came here. So you know, we love um, to preach. And, and then I came here and I'm the associate to Jamie, which means I do everything Jamie doesn't want to do. So it's not that he doesn't want to be here. Uh, and I bring greetings to him, by the way. We talked to him on the phone this week and uh, he's uh, in a, up north where it's cooler, but trying desperately to get some time to prepare for his next series and uh, study and refresh and, and, and get a break. And so it's a privilege to work with such an incredible team here, as well as the team here. Ray, I, I appreciated the um, words you shared with us about responding. No doubt some of you are like, what are you talking about? If you watch the news, uh, our country, we react to things. And uh, as a church, we have the opportunity, more than ever, not really not, maybe to be what we always are as the church. You know, in John 16, Jesus said, you know, in this world, you will have trouble. And so it shouldn't come as a surprise to us, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Psalm 46 is a great psalm that reminds us that there's wars and rumors of wars and, and, and torrential, you know, catastrophic, you know, um, climate activity and all of that happening in our world. And at the very end, as the psalm resolves itself and our job is to be still and know that he's God. Ray read a passage from Ephesians about the battles that we fight are not on Facebook. That's my version. They're not battles that we fight by reacting to things. There is a spiritual battle and then we're given the armor of God to arm ourselves with, and at the end of all that, what does it say? Stand, stand firm, pray at all times, be on the alert. Anything that happens in our world should never come as a surprise because we believe God is sovereign. He continues to execute his sovereign plan and we have the privilege of being light in the darkness. And so the darker it is, guess what happens? The brighter the light shines. We are as truth in a world that needs the truth. I love the way Paul gave us a picture of, of earthen vessels in 1 Corinthians chapter four and verse seven. He says, we are just jars of clay, but in the jars of clay is what? Treasure. Treasure, his spirit in us. Those of you who have faith alone in Christ alone, you've crossed the line. You have surrendered your life to live his life. You live in this world. And what an opportunity we have more than ever to be the church. We tuned into Lucas over the last couple of Sundays and he talked about spiritual discipline. Might be a new thing for people in our tradition, but it's a good thing, means of grace. It's not a, a, a rule, it's a tool to abide in Christ, to be closer to him. He talked about fasting and why fasting is a good thing, not as a ritual, but to take the, the way you've been quenching your appetite that really is for God with spiritual junk food 
and stopping or ceasing from those go-tos in your life to taste and see that God is good, that he provides everything for our enjoyment, everything that we need in our life. Fasting is a good thing. And last week, talking about celebration. Wow. And you say, well, how can we celebrate at times like this? The world that we live in needs to see what joy looks out before us, what it looks like, joy that runs as we think of the longing, looking forward to what lies ahead. We are at a privileged time to show people what true joy looks. Weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice, but in the midst of that, we have a great joy. I see, I look around, and, and I've been uh, all, I said, I've been all around the world. I spent a summer in India uh, many years ago. I've been all through Central America with Hispanic-speaking people. I've been throughout Europe. I uh, was in Chicago uh, when I was a student in Bible college. My wife and I went to a homeless church in, in the inner city of Chicago, and I, and I found out that in, in India and in, the, in the Central America and in Europe, you know what, God loves people there, and you know what it looks like when Jesus is in people, it unifies people. We went to an all African-American church, an all black church when we were in Chicago at night because we had to go at nighttime. We were the only white people there. It was beautiful. You know that Jesus lives in those people and their faith that they have in Jesus unites those people. Uh, a few months ago, we had a, a, one of our pastors came over from Jordan in the Middle East and, and, and as we look at all of the things that are happening there through American eyes, we cry out, we've got to get rid of those ISIS people. And he says, no, you don't understand Middle Eastern culture. You, you, you take a life and 10 more rise up. The only way to win or to trump hate is with love. And 1 Corinthians 13 tells us we have love. Without agape love, we have nothing. The only way to unify our world is through Christ. And he showed us a picture of Shiites and Sunnis in a picture together. You would never see that, no matter what political unification system you might have. Powerful things. All the world, Jesus unifies us. And things don't really change for us. People have said to me all week long, what are you doing as a church? Our hair is on, you know, nothing changes. We're for Christ. And we are to be ready at all times to stand firm and to let the Lord and his sovereign plan unfold before us. And I think what people are looking for um, in this world, all of us, we're looking for the same thing. We all want to know, where did we come from? Why are we here? What's our purpose? And where are we going? And we have discovered it here. We are the instruments of this great and wonderful, wonderful truth. And I think the rest of the world is kind of chasing after something. And I wanted to spend the remainder of our time together talking about what I think it is. I think it's happiness. Happiness isn't a bad thing. Lucas described it last week as pleasure, something that we want now. I want to feel good now. And I think the world is looking for happiness. But here's what I think, and I think the Bible teaches us. I think it's an urban legend. You know what urban legend is? You know, it's Ray. We call Ray the legend around here. Isn't it? He doesn't really exist, but we know he's real. No, Ray is real. We see him. You know, Bigfoot. I, I'm a believer. Don't be knocking Bigfoot. I came from Northern California, and I, Bigfoot's real. But there's other urban legends out there. And, and really, this pursuit of happiness is kind of like that. We, 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 and it's kind of weird, because we think happiness is a good thing, and God is good, so syllogism suggests that, well, then per, the pursuit of happiness must be a good thing. And so when it comes to God and happiness, this gets kind of tricky. When it comes to the world and what they're pursuing, it gets kind of tricky in there. And so I want to talk about happiness and, and, and ways, mistakes we make when it comes to happiness. And then I want to answer a question today. Does God want me to be happy? I don't know if the, the opposite is true. Does God want us to be unhappy? I don't know. I hope not. 
And then I wanna leave you with four things that I believe are more important than your own happiness, that really trump the pursuit of our own happiness. First of all, with happiness, I think there's mistakes that we make when it comes to happiness. I think there are some of us that try to fake it. You ever do that? If you're taking notes, by the way, I can see you, so I can see who's taking it. Remember, I can see you. So uh, I know, thank you, I see the notes, and uh, Ray, do you wanna make sure everybody's got, there's an exam at the, no, I'm just teasing you. But I think some of us try to fake it, don't we? Now, my wife got really disturbed by Facebook a few years ago. She said, everybody on Facebook seems happy all the time. And I said, you gotta remember, there's a reason they call it posing for a photograph, right? Because I don't see too many people posing for a photograph looking like this, right? It's always looking happier than it really is. Um, and so many times we try, when it comes to happiness, I think one of the mistakes we make is we... We, we fake it. We think if someone's smiling all the time, they must be closer to God, and so we feel that pressure in our own lives, um, even when it comes to church. The problem is, people see right through that. We think if I'm sharing Christ with somebody, I better put a smile on my face. And, and, the, and the reality is, people who are lost without Christ aren't looking for your smile on your face, they're looking for authenticity. They're not looking for presenting the perfect presentation of Jesus Christ, he can do that himself. They're looking for, how do you go through hardship? How do you go through, and we wanna talk about that, but faking it doesn't get us any further along. I think a second thing we try to do is chase it. You ever done that? Try to chase after that. 3,000 years ago, uh, Solomon penned a book called Ecclesiastes, where he tried that. He tried chasing after everything. God blessed him with more wisdom than anybody in the history of mankind has ever had, and yet he still thought, I need more money, I need more honeys, 700 honeys called wives, 300 sub-honeys called concubines. I want it to be sunny, I want my nose not to be runny, all the silly rhyming words that he had. Solomon tried it 3,000 years ago, nine times in, his, in Ecclesiastes, Solomon said, you know, chasing after this is like striving after the wind. Take a look at Ecclesiastes 1.14. He said, I've seen everything that was done under the sun. He had the been there, done that t-shirt before it was ever thought up. And behold, it's all vanity, a striving after the wind. And so when we chase happiness, don't you notice it's so true? You've said it. It's elusive. It's here one second and then it's gone. It's there for a moment, it never sticks around. It might be good for a while, but it never delivers what it promises. And we've all watched people chase after happiness and it's exhausting, isn't it? A happy mistake that people make. And we think happiness might be endorsed by God and so we begin to chase after something God never said. I think a third mistake we try is we try to force it. You know, we can't fake it, we can't seem to catch it when we chase it, and so we just pretend that it's all good. I had a friend of mine, every time I asked her how she was doing, she said, it's all good. I think as Christians, ultimately it's all good, but there was pain in her family. And I remember when she went particularly through a really difficult time in her marriage, it's, it's all good. And, and, uh, and then the finances went south and it's all good. And I looked at her one time, I said, maybe it's okay for it not to be good sometimes because God works and moves through not so good times too. And so sometimes we try to force it. Consider the Proverbs, it says, Proverbs 25, 20, whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. They had that experiment before Mythbusters tried to bring it out. It's a violent reaction. If you see somebody deeply mourning, we don't try to bounce around and clap and say, hey, be happy, God wants you to be happy. It's just like taking their, their jacket off. It's a wet blanket. And the Bible tells us, as we mentioned a moment ago, if someone's mourning, Mourn with them. 
weep with them. We try to force happiness because I'm happy and I believe God wants everyone to be happy all the time. It's a weird pressure. And I gotta tell you, it's an urban legend. It's not from God. Did you see the danger in that when it comes to Christians and how we present Christ to a world who needs to see it? There are, there are a, lot of, a lot of problems with that. And it begs the deeper question I mentioned a moment ago. And that is, underneath of that, does God really care if I'm happy? Does God care if I'm happy? Lucas did a really nice job with celebration. He said, yeah, God wants us to celebrate him. And he counted days for festivals. There was the Passover. He celebrated good things that happened and remember those things, build altars. We had communion that we celebrated together as a body of Christ last week. Certainly God wants us to celebrate, but does he care if I'm happy? Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 17 regarding wealth and what that brings. He, he gave him wisdom. He said, he said, Timothy, as for the wealthy in this age, those people who are rich, Charge them not to be arrogant or haughty about their wealth. Don't put their hope in the uncertainty of riches. Or another translation says, riches that are so fleeting. But to put our hope and trust in God who richly provides us everything to enjoy. The passage will go on to say, enjoy the wealth that God has given you, but be generous. Just don't put your faith in that. And so if you're taking notes this morning, does God care if I'm happy? I think he does in a sense. But he says, enjoy what I've given you, those things that I have approved. Enjoy what God has approved for us. James 1, 17, we don't have time to go there, but you might want to write that down. It just basically reminds us that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. God is a good God who gives us good things. I think sometimes we, we go to the opposite extreme. Have you been there? I feel guilty, I got something really good, I feel guilty. I don't wanna enjoy this. I've had friends tell me to get rid of everything. God gives us things to enjoy. You know, God gives us little blessings, doesn't he? Like coffee. I enjoy coffee. I'm, I'm fasting from coffee for 40 days. I said last week to our, our church, from 11 at night till seven in the morning, no coffee for the next 40 days. So I'm, I'm with you on that. But I love, I love little things. I love, I love a good hamburger. That's a blessing to me, right? Now, I don't sit it in an outburst going, praise the Lord for this hamburger. That's the other end of the extreme. But God really has given us blessings for us to enjoy in our lives. I, I used to live in some pretty wonderful places. I lived in the group in the Midwest, grew up in, in Canada. That's okay. It's a good place to be from. And, no, I'm just kidding. Canadian. Oh, there's no Canadians here. They're, oh, God, just you and me. And one more. There, amen. I see that hand, brother. <laughs> We're the remnants. That's why we're from there. I, I've lived along the coast in California. I lived up in the Redwood National Park area. So beautiful. Glimpses of heaven. I was only two earthquakes away from oceanfront property. I mean, it was just like really a glimpse and a taste of what is good. I, I've lived amongst the mountains. I've, I've lived in beautiful places. They're glimpses of heaven, aren't they? We live in a fallen world, and, and the best days that we experience are a shadow of what once was before the fall of man, and a foreshadowing of what's yet to come, a taste that God is gonna bring that, and we can rejoice in the small blessings that God brings and gives us in our lives. I think we can also enjoy the massive blessings. I couldn't think of another word on there, but second point in that outline is let the massive blessings sink in deeply in our lives. Do we have big blessings from God? Do we, do we have big blessings? I'm not the screen, you guys can see you. Do we have big blessings from God? Yes, we do have big, okay, well, okay what, what are some of the big blessings from God? Shout them out, I can hear you. 
Oh, I love that. Grandchildren. That's awesome. Marriage. Marriage. Oh, that's awesome. Marriage. Someone said liberty. Liberty. Awesome. What else? Yeah, Raquel, what? Would you say, oh, my husband. Yes, Jim over there. Yeah, you said freedom? Freedom, liberty, all those things. Consider the great doctrines. Forgiveness of sin. That's huge. Forgive, love, joy, hope, relationship with our creator. Personal, we're not in doing rituals here. God has a personal, eternal life. Unbelievable, massive blessings God wants us. Death isn't the end. It's only the beginning of our life. That alone in of itself, Christ in us, Colossians 1.17 reminds us, the hope of glory, our, our hope, our future is certain. It is incredible. We don't need to find our security in anything else. I read a, um, uh, a great article by Robert Mulholland. He was a late uh, New Testament uh, prophet, Asbury Theological Seminary. And he talked about how so many times in American culture, we operate as if we are in the world for Jesus. That sounds good, doesn't it? We're in the world for Jesus. We're all about justice. We're doing mission trips. We're gonna solve world hunger for all for Jesus. Those are good things. But when we lead with that card, there's some trouble. Why do I know that? Because in Matthew 7, Jesus says something so haunting. He says, there are those of you that will come to me and you're gonna say, Lord, we healed in your name. Father, we cast out demons in the name of Jesus. We, did, we fed people. We did amazing and incredible things. And Jesus says, great, come get your goodie bag. No, he doesn't. He looks at them and he says, away from me, I never knew you. See, it's not about the things we do that enters us into God's kingdom. It's about who we are. And so Robert Mulholland in his article indicated we often are in the world. We think we're in the world for Christ. He says, no, no, no. We need to understand something, that we are in Christ for the world. That's a paradigm shift. For years and years, I spent time saying to God, I'm here to bless you. Here's what I want to do for you, God. Would you bless me? I put spiritual words on it. I wrapped it up so beautiful, tied it in a nice little bow and realized I was just doing what I wanted to do. Remember the book Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby? Talked about a number of different things to taste and to know and experience him in an intimate relationship. And one of the, the impactful statements he made that I think is so true. He said, remember that wherever you go, God's already been working there. Did you know that? You know, God didn't just come to Scottsdale when Neil Montgomery arrived here three years ago, right? Some of you think maybe, no. No, God's always been here, so the best I can do is figure out what God is doing and align myself into his plan. And the best way to do that is to abide, as Lucas exhorted us over the last two weeks, abide in him in such a way with the means of grace or the spiritual disciplines to know him so that I can figure out halfway even what his plan is and I can be a part of his plan. Nothing that happens in our world is lost on God. Jesus said the poor are always gonna be here. It's not about getting poor. There's always gonna be injustice. We live in a fallen world. He says, but as you are in me, I want you to be in the world for me. Do you see the difference? More than ever do we need to stand up in such an incredible way. What we do with all the things that are happening today is to be in Christ. One of the things that he reminds us to do is enjoy those little blessings, enjoy those massive blessings, but he switches the source of our happiness. I, I think the answer to this question is God, God does care if we're happy, but it's all about the source of our happiness. When we see the source of the blessings that we have in our lives and we see where it's coming from, we praise God and we thank him. 
We thank him for the blessings in our life. Our happiness, if we put our happiness in those things, we're missing the mark. We put our trust in the wrong source. And so I want you to think of a third thing when it comes to does God want me to be happy? And that is that sometimes, sometimes God weeps for us. Sometimes God weeps for us. What do I mean by that? I, I think of Jesus in John eleven thirty five. 35. It's the shortest verse in the Bible, right? It says, Jesus wept. Jesus was God, is God. It was about Lazarus, and Jamie talked about that a few weeks ago, and he, he knew that he was going to go, and he knew he was gonna raise Lazarus from the dead. He knew the end game, and why would Jesus weep? What a beautiful picture. Because he's all God, why would he weep? Because he's also all man. He's all human. Jesus weeps at the things that in this world that are unjust, the things in this world that are pain. When we go through pain, God weeps for us. He weeps with us. It's not always about our happiness. God promises that suffering will end. Sometimes that, that promise is instant. Sometimes it's miraculous and we praise God. But here's the bottom line with all the suffering in our world today. If you take anything from this morning, remember this, that God wants us to have a longing for heaven. God's desire is that we'd have a longing for heaven, that this place is not what it's about. Suffering reminds us that this is not our home. And it's good for us to long for our real home and to invite people to go with us. But while we're still here, remember all throughout the Bible, Psalm 34, 18, one example, God is near to the brokenhearted. When you are ill, when you are suffering, God is near. As we come alongside those that are suffering this week, remember that we are God's hand and feet to come alongside and weep with those who weep. So does God care about our happiness? I think he does. But our happiness is really not the ultimate goal. And in fact, sometimes it's not even the best thing for us. So here's the question that I think exposes this urban legend better than anything else. And that is, are there some things that are better than our own happiness? Let me suggest four things as we wrap up. I think when you even ask that question, culture goes, what, what are you thinking about? What do you mean? So uh, it, w- w- There's something better than my own happiness? Like if you look at the magazine rack, if you go to the grocery store to get today, you're gonna see a magazine called Self. That's telling, right? One called us, one called you. What does the world think? There's nothing more important than your own happiness. What could there possibly be more important? I gotta tell you, the secret to all of that and your own joy is yes, there is. And God says there are a number of different things that might be better. And the first one is this. How about someone else's happiness? You might wanna write down Hebrews eleven twenty-five, talking about Moses in that great uh, chapter in the Bible, the hall of faith, we call it, of these great people who had amazing faith in God. And how that faith drove them to do sacrifice all for God and for his bigger purposes. And in Hebrews eleven twenty five, 25, it said, Moses, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. Remember the story of Moses? Verse 26, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Any historians here? That's pretty valuable if you know the treasures of Egypt. Because he was looking ahead to his reward. That was a definition of joy that Jamie gave us and later on Lucas affirmed. Looking ahead to his reward. He saw the bigger picture. He made the right choice. He didn't get dialed into the minutia of life and get lost, missing the forest through the trees. And let me ask you a question. Do you see the bigger picture today? 
Do you look out on the world and do you get lost in the news, lost in your paycheck, lost in that relationship that's going sideways, lost in confusion, lost in pain, and you forget that God has a far bigger plan and he has not swayed from it one iota. Do you get the bigger picture? I'm with you. It's a battle every day. If you have a healthy family here today, if you have a relationship that is a healthy relationship, I guarantee you it's not because you're looking out for number one. Healthy relationships are fostered when you put someone else's happiness ahead of your own. How many of you hang out with people who just love themselves? Right, yeah. They have no friends, right? It's all about me all the time. Nobody wants to hang out with a person who sees it as all about them. You know, another person in scripture that you may want to look at this week is Ruth. She's got a whole book by her name, Ruth. Somebody who suffered, had a tough time. She, her husband died. And to add salt to the wound, her, her, her sister-in-law's husband died too. And then her mother-in-law, her husband died. And there was chaos all over the place. Her name was Naomi, the mother-in-law. And she said, I'm changing my name to Mara, which means bitter. She wasn't handling it well. And she said to her daughters-in-law, why don't you just go back to your people? And her sister Orpah says, I think I will. I want to go back where the blessings are. Ruth's in the midst of chaos. Imagine a woman who's widowed back in that day. You think it's tough for women today. I got to tell you, it's nothing. Back then, they were prostitutes, left to beg, left to do whatever they could um, to survive. And then what results is a beautiful story of God redeeming Ruth, but she says this in the moment of, of her pain. It says in Ruth 1.16, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you, talking to Naomi. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. Is your faith that big? I know mine's not. I like me a lot. I like my stuff. I like this. I like desert bells at two o'clock in an air-conditioned place next Saturday. I like stuff. I want to have that kind of a faith. You see, Ruth saw the bigger picture. Do you see the bigger picture that God is doing that'll go well beyond this life, well beyond the, the pains and the atrocities that we're experiencing in our culture today? We have a moment to be a light and to share a hope to a world who desperately needs it. See, selflessness always leads to true contentment, an ability to see the bigger picture and then express gratitude. You ever see people who are thankful amidst adversity? Some people think they've got a screw loose. Other people go, what is that? And they're drawn to that, Christ in us. Selfishness, selfishness always leads to despair, always leads to chasing after something that'll stop that pain for a minute. Those of you who have children, you know what selflessness is all about. You defer your happiness for many, many years. And if you pay for your kid's college, I'm still deferring my happiness as my kids are gone, you know? You don't understand what it's all about. And you understand that maybe my own happiness is not the most important thing. To defer my happiness so that my children could experience the riches of this life or someone else could be encouraged. Someone else's happiness is one reason. I think one way that one thing that's more important, let, let me share another one. How about wake up calls that return me to God? You ever have those in your life? You know what I mean by, by a wake up call? You know, everything's going around great and all of a sudden you get that diagnosis and you just feel the pain of that. Your world is rocked. Have you been there? Wake up calls. 
And what's better than your own happiness? They return me to God. Read the, one of my favorite parts of the Bible is the, the last 12 books of the Old Testament, the minor prophets. Have you read those? God speaking to the nation of Israel through the voice of his prophets, calling them back to God. Many times allowing them to experience pain and, and heartache. See, you know what God knows? That if he just lets your life to be all blessing, do you think that draws you back to God? No, in fact, blessings oftentimes draw us further away from God. Consider the entropy that the nation of Israel went through over and over again. Excited for God, but slowing down because you know what? Some of us actually think the blessings you're experiencing in your life, you actually earned those. You actually think that it's your thing. You actually feel entitled to that. And when those blessings go, we cry foul. We need to rise up as a church. Church needs to take a stand, a political stance. The church, I'm like, no, the church has always taken a stance. We're for Christ. We'll never not be for Christ. And we'll be his light in a dark world, however that might manifest itself in whatever generation you find yourself in. You know, we cry for revival, and, I, and I've said this many times, but, and I've said, I would love if Jesus just stood right here. He would fix politics. He would fix all the, all the racism and the injustice. But you know, here's the problem with that. We get all excited about that and we cry justice. But you know, when God brings revival, do you know where he begins? With you and with me. You know what revival in this world? Let it begin with you. You're going through something in your life that you say, I can't handle it. Recognize right now that no, you can't and you never will be able to handle it apart from the spirit of God in you to give you a perspective that says there's a bigger thing that God is doing through your life right now that he wants to do in a dying world who's looking for what faith amidst a time like that looks like. And you have the opportunity not to fake it, not to force it, not to chase it, but to weep a little, feel the pain of that, tell the world it hurts, but I got a greater longing. There's something better. God may heal me and he'll be glorified. God may not and he'll be glorified because he's God. You ever wake up calls in your life? I think they're better many times in our own pain that we have in our own lives. Wake up calls aren't fun, but I'll tell you, they are purposeful in our lives. Wake up call for the soul is so much better than happiness. Here, here's a third one. It's similar. It's trials, trials that change my character. So you have a wake-up call that awakens you to God and go, oh, God, I need to come back to you. But then the trial that you might walk through that God is doing something in. You know, I talk to many of you throughout the week. As, as uh, Ken mentioned, Ray, I'm the pastor of congregational care uh, around here. And, and so I deal with people in crisis all the time. And I love, I love coming alongside people that are just feeling such pain. But boy, we work so hard to fix it, don't we? We work so hard to avoid it. We work so hard to get out of it. And many times, God wants us to soak in it. It's not wrong to pray that God would give you relief. It's not wrong. But to consider, God, what is it you have for me in this trial? Early followers of Christ would say prayers like this, God, do not release me from this trial until I've soaked everything I possibly can from this. Trials that shape our character. We had um, Richard Blackaby, Henry Blackaby's son, actually spoke at one of our marketplace studies um, this past winter, it was really powerful. He spoke all about the Experiencing God initiative that they're doing, but he said something that, that stuck with most of the men that were there. He talked about a son that he had that was uh, wayward, it was fallen from Christ. And he said the prayer was what we all pray. What do you pray when your kids are not following the Lord? Lord, bring our children back to you, just like the nation of Israel. 
God, we just love to see our kids begin to thrive in their relationship with you again. God, would you do that for us? It's a great prayer to pray. In fact, Jamie and I have said over the years, we've worked together for many, many years in other churches, we said, you know, there's something about the power of a praying mom and then trumping that, the power of a praying grandmother, there's just nothing more powerful than that. He's gonna support it theologically sometime, but he really believes it. But all of a sudden, it dawned on Richard Blackaby, he said, it was as if God was saying to him, Richard, you know what, your son may be walking away from you, but I'm using his life right now to build something in your life. And he stopped. He still prayed for his son, but his prayer really changed. He said, God, would you change me to be the kind of man that you need me to be to reach my son? God, change me. And we lament over trials, we pray for other people to change, but something more important than your happiness might be a trial that you're going through where God, you're God, you say, God, change my circumstance and God say, I'm trying to change your character. Are we listening to him? Do we see the bigger picture in God? One last one, and that is this. There's more important than our happiness and that is sacrifices that expand God's kingdom. Sacrifices expands God's kingdom. There's a, a great story in Jonah chapter four. You remember Jonah was one of the minor prophets who God said, I want you to go to Nineveh. We all think of the, the uh, whale that swallowed and the big fish. And he does, he eventually goes to Nineveh and he, he gives the prophetic word of God to a nation walking away that God is gonna judge and, and the power is there. And what do the Ninevites do? Repent. They turn to God. And for some reason, Jonah's really bothered by that. And at the very end of the story, he's just sitting and he's depressed. And we pick it up in John, Jonah 4, verse 6. It says that God, in that moment, God provided a vine in, and made it grow over Jonah to give shade uh, for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was really happy. Do you see what's happening right away in that story? Jonah was just depressed. And then God did something, and he's happy. And then look at verse seven. But dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Do you see what's going on? God is good, God is bad. God is good, God is bad. I wanna live for him, I rejoice for God when all the music's good and, and when it's not good, I, I don't anymore. And God says something to Jonah. He says, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? Jonah has the guts to say, yeah, I do. I have the right. I'm angry enough to die. And then God says something incredible. You've been concerned about the vine. You've been looking at this one little thing and the vast work that I'm doing. You didn't even tend the vine. You didn't make it grow. It sprang up and it died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people, souls, lives, spirits, my image imprinted on them, created by me. They can't even tell their right hand from their left. They have many cattle as well. Should I not be a little bit more concerned about people? Do you see what happened to Jonah? He lost focus. Do you see the bigger picture in your life? Sometimes we're so caught up in comforts or the now. It's not always a bad thing. We've got to remember where the source comes from. But we forget about the kingdom, and that's called perspective. And if we're not careful, we can begin, especially in a town like Scottsdale, to begin to view God not a lot unlike room service. Pick up a menu, ask God what I need. As long as he blesses me, I'm good. When he doesn't, I walk away. We've gotta be careful about what influence culture can have on our view of happiness. Where do all these principles come from? They come from the life of Jesus. Don't fake it or force it, chase happiness. 
Jesus says, enjoy the blessings I've brought into your life. They're glimpses of heaven. But understand where they come from. Understand that Jesus knows what's better than happiness. Lastly, just Hebrews chapter 11 and 12, I mentioned those incredible verses. But in Hebrews 12 verse 2, it says, therefore, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. You ever read, you know, therefore means look at what was there before that. Hebrews 11, you read that and you see some of the sufferings that make the sufferings we see in our culture today look like child's play. I'm not trying to diminish anything we're going through in any way whatsoever. But God knows this. He says all these things in Hebrews, some people were flogged, they were beaten within an inch of their life, some were actually killed, sawn in two, and yet all these people had such an amazing faith in God. They saw the bigger picture of what I was trying to, therefore, fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. You wanna know what to do in this world? Fix your eyes on Jesus. See striving and know that he's God. Take up the full armor and stand. Let God battle for you. Look at what's in front of you in your sphere of influence and ask God, how can I obey you in this life today? And Ray reminded us to pray. Come alongside people that are hurting. Who was Jesus? The author and finisher, perfecter of our faith, who the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and then he, shame, and then he sat down at the right hand of God. Done. You know, one day you and I are gonna take our last breath and we're gonna open our eyes in the kingdom of heaven where God will wipe away every tear. We'll have a perspective that is his, why God allowed everything that happened in our life to allow. And we're gonna face the reality that we had one life. And do we live that life for me and for my happiness and I'm putting all my faith and trust in that happiness? Or do I understand the source of the happiness? And I praised the God of that source and I gave up my rights for happiness or trials. And I said, God, not my will but yours be done. That's what God wants for us in a culture that's going through pain, to be the church. We don't have to do anything new. We don't have to get our hair on fire. We don't have to wring our hands in anxiety. We just keep being the church. It begins with each one of us. Revival starts here so that people see the joy that points them to a living God that'll impact their lives for eternity. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for such an amazing opportunity we have, the freedoms that we have. May it never be lost on us. As the body of Christ, may we exemplify to a world that needs to see it, what truth amidst whatever's going in our life looks like, what trust amidst pain and joy amidst blessing, what it looks like, that we would be your hands and your feet and yea, would be your instruments to reach people in whatever sphere of influence we find ourselves. And through it all, may you be glorified. And God, our lives are gonna be so short. We'll wake up one day and realize how fast it's all gone. But even at that moment, God, may we look to you and say, God, until I take my last breath, may every ounce of my being be used to reach one more for your kingdom, to help those who don't see, see with such a great light that'll impact them for eternity. May you be glorified, we pray in your son's name, amen. Amen. 